Well, how are you guys doing? Oh, man, that's so awesome. So glad that you're here. Sorry, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was tripping out a bit. This, this iPad almost shut down. Um, my name is Marco. Uh, I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Uh, man, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning on Resurrection Sunday. We're really excited. Uh, but I, I, would, I just want to be frank uh, in the sense that we're really excited. I'm really excited to get to preach uh, God's word to you this morning. And I'm also just going to be honest. Preaching about the resurrection, we do that every Sunday. We do that every single Sunday. It's, it's not just that Jesus is alive only on today. It's that he is alive and well, period, and that the tomb is empty. And so uh, while I ramble a little bit, why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, join me in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. While you go ahead and turn there, uh, I'll ramble a little bit. Uh, again, if you are new, man, so glad to have you. It is, it is, I'm privileged that you are here. Uh, if you'd love to hang out with us, we'd love to hang out with you. Fill out a Connect card, drop it in the offering basket later on this morning, or drop it in the back. Uh, in addition to that, as everybody's kind of flipping through the pages and going to Luke 24, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some Bibles in the rows which you are seated in or in the back Connect desk. Uh, grab one, take one. That is our gift to you this morning. Uh, normally, one of the things that I tend to do is read the scripture that we're going to find ourselves in and then dive in. I'd like to do things a little differently today. Uh, I'd like to walk through this in a story form, but I'd like to walk, stop, and talk a little bit about uh, kind of what's going on and, and where we are headed. And so as I do that, what I'd like to, what I actually like us to start off with is, is some prayer, because that's awesome. So uh, let me pray, and I uh, hope you, 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 you're already where we're at. Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our time. God, as we gather here this morning, God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, uh, are at work in our hearts and in our minds that you have prepared our hearts, that you had softened our hearts to receive your word, to be challenged by your word. God, to be convicted by your word. God, as we gather to celebrate uh, the risen king that is Jesus, this is something that we proclaim and exclaim every single week. And we get to do this emphatically today. God, we're certainly not the only church that's gathered here this morning. There's several churches around the country and around the world, several hundreds of thousands of churches who are praising your name this morning. There are hundreds of thousands of churches uh, throughout the world who are being persecuted right now because they are praising your name. Some are being persecuted. Some have already been martyred. God, we pray for their families. We pray that you would, Holy Spirit, comfort them and as they walk through these seasons of this season of grief and loss. As they feel like hope is lost, just as I'm sure many here today feel like hope is lost. But the truth is that their tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen 
and that Jesus is alive. And so, God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to that, to that beautiful truth of hope. God, as we walk through your word, may you be glorified, and may this serve as a, as a good for our soul. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our culture loves information. I don't know if you're hooked up to the internet, maybe you're on social media, but our culture loves information. We crave facts and trends and all sorts of statistics. There are millions of users online and on social media digging through Facebook and Twitter and online journals and sifting through the news for mainly one reason, to acquire information. For some, acquiring information is studious. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you love acquiring information because you want to learn more about a particular subject or topic. Others acquire information because it's a sense of identity. The more they know, the more they believe that they are informed. Maybe that's where you find yourself at this morning. You want information so that you would ultimately be informed. Maybe so that you can tell others that you're informed. Maybe so that your online status would reflect how well-informed you may be. Others love to acquire information because it's a sense of security. It's a sense of security because it allows for better control over your environment, and it increases your chances of survival. At least that's what the Scientific American Journal said. Right? Everyone loves information. We want to gather information always and all of the time. You can look at it in other practical examples, such as parenting. How many books are there about parenting? There's countless books about parenting. There's really good books on parenting. You can go to workshops and learn about parenting. And so you can know at the end of the day a lot about parent, parenting, whether you're a parent or not. Then you become one. Right? It's a different story. There's, there's a difference between knowing about parenthood and being a parent, like knowing parenthood. Right? Because all of a sudden you're in the thick of it. I didn't think vomit would continue until like throughout junior high. I'll embarrass my son. Uh, I, I, remember, I remember friends telling me about, about their, their, their infant children and just the, the projectile vomit that would happen. And I remember at one point, I don't think this has anything to do with the sermon, but uh, I remember at one point, I remember at one point they were just so excited because their kids had gone from infants to, to toddlers and they were growing up in elementary and they're like, man, the vomiting is done. It's so, so, so exciting. I became, I became a dad when, when uh, our son was seven, and uh, he, was, he was eight or nine, and he like rushed into the bedroom as he's covering his mouth, saying, Dad, I need a vomit, and you see it coming through, and like he like 
spews on me in the middle of the night, right? Like there's a difference between knowing about vomit and knowing vomit, right? Like that's just a fundamental fact, right? This morning, all jokes aside, that we'll still cover some, this morning I wish to submit to you that there is a difference between knowing about someone or knowing about something and knowing. As we read about Christ and the disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is where we're headed to this morning, my hope for you this morning is that through the Holy Spirit, you would be moved from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. And if you find yourself here, obviously, because you are, and you already know Jesus, then my hope for you is that your relational understanding and commitment of Christ would actually go deeper than what you think it already is. And so as I mentioned, we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. I'm going to read and then stop and talk and read and stop and talk. Uh, because I think there's some important things in this section. We're actually going to start off with verses 13 through 27. To give you a little bit of context, the opening verse says, this is verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. The day that Luke is talking about is resurrection day. The the tomb is empty. Jesus, or better yet, let me back up. Jesus has already been crucified. Jesus has died. Jesus was buried. There's a rumor going around that the tomb is empty. And these homeboys are talking about that, but they're walking away from Jerusalem and toward this town called Emmaus. Okay? Okay. That very day, two of them were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him, or excuse me, went with them. So everything has happened to where Jesus is now buried. There's this rumor going around. These guys are leaving Jerusalem. They're walking towards Emmaus, and they're just processing. Who's an external processor, right? Where you just keep on talking, right? Just try to make sense of things. You're confused a little bit. A lot of things are going on. Maybe a lot of information has come in. This is what these two guys are doing. They are processing with one another everything that has just happened, And Jesus draws near to them. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. It's almost like Jesus is baiting them, right? And they stood still, and they looked sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
Like, listen to the irony, because Jesus responds to it. Jesus says, what things? He's baiting them. And they said to him, and I want you to, to listen carefully to this, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he, that is Jesus, was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I want you to know that facts don't necessarily equal knowledge. Sounds weird, but I got the mic. <laughs> facts don't necessarily equal knowledge. In other words, you can have a basic understanding of the historical narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and not know him and not know him. In this section, these two ordinary disciples literally walk through a sequence of events that just happened over the past couple of days, and all they're spewing is facts and information. Those facts and that information does not lead them to joy celebration, or hope. In fact, Luke records that they are filled with sadness and hopelessness. Cleopas even says, we had hoped. He's talking about hope in the past tense. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. They walk through a series of events and facts. They even talk about the life of Jesus, that he was a prophet, that he did wonderful works, and they witnessed miracles. They even knew everything that led up to him being handed over to the Roman guard where he was falsely arrested, eventually beaten, flogged, and mocked, and finally crucified, and then he died, and then he was buried. They're walking through these historical, or not even to them, it's not history, this just happened a couple of hours ago. They're walking through what just happened. And what they're walking through is 100% biblical. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But what they're walking through is biblical. You see, their understanding of the Messiah included only glory. It did not include the Messiah's suffering. Their understanding of the Messiah included only glory, but it did not include his sufferings. 
And so they were filled with facts. Knowing about Jesus or knowing of Jesus includes facts. But that's all it'll include. Just facts. And there's, this is where we find these two disciples. Let's go back to the text and listen to Jesus' response. Beginning in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, these two men, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they walk through this sequence of events. They are filled with sadness and hopelessness. And Jesus, at this point, is now making himself known, right? He was baiting them a little bit. So uh, what kind of, what went on here? Do you not know? Know what? Right? He's like baiting them. He's bringing them into this conversation where he's going to reveal himself. And so they walk through these factual things, these factual events that just happened, and he calls them fools. He says, oh, foolish ones, the fool in Proverbs is the one who is convinced that they are right and that they don't need to listen to anyone else. Jesus begins to teach them that the scriptures point to him. He uses this as an opportunity to turn it into a Bible study. And he says, beginning with Moses, those are the the first five books of the Old Testament. And then he goes on to talk to them about what the prophets prophesied. And as he is walking them through, he is telling them everything that happened in the Old Testament is inevitably pointing to him. When he walks them through Genesis, he is telling them that God himself promised redemption, that it was going to happen through him. When he walks through the prophets of the Old Testament, he is saying these prophets prophesize about not only the coming of the Messiah, but the suffering of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, and the resurrection of the Messiah. These prophets were pointing things to me. It wasn't just random, but they were pointing to Christ. And this is incredibly crucial. It's incredibly crucial because we cannot properly understand the events in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, without them leading us to the person and work of Jesus. It's incredibly important because many churches, many churches today will be preaching from the Bible without referencing the person and work of Jesus. And these disciples were no different. That they had read through the text 
that they had read through and understood the prophecy from the Old Testament, and yet they totally missed the Messiah. They didn't even recognize him. Their understanding came from Scripture, and yet they still missed it. And so here's the first question I have for you. What about Jesus doesn't fit your story? You see, when we walk through this section, we see these two disciples having this conversation now with Jesus, and Jesus is telling them that all Scripture points back to him. And yet they were completely oblivious. Because... In their framework, in their story, Jesus was going to redeem them politically. They weren't thinking about redemption in terms of turning back to God. And so when Cleopas goes on to say, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel, he's saying, man, I I really thought, uh, you know, we were going to have a really good king. I thought we were going to be out from under Roman oppression. I thought, uh, you know, I thought things would actually just kind of go better. His understanding was completely askew. His understanding was completely askew. And so Jesus didn't fit in their story. So what is it about Jesus that doesn't fit yours. I can think of several things. Maybe it's the resurrection. Maybe it's sin. You don't necessarily like to talk about sin, but I want to focus on one, and perhaps that's his lordship. That even when we walk through the narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can think about the resurrection as something that was, well, good job. That sounds very convenient. But when we begin talking about his lordship, all of a sudden, people begin to take offense. Because when we begin to talk about the lordship of Jesus, that now implies that you must deny yourself, and that is so counter-American. In fact, one social psychologist says it this way, quote, as our society puts more and more emphasis on the self as the source of value, it's creating a very fragile meaning of life. The lordship of Christ offends countless people because it means that you must deny yourself. It means that it's for you, but it's not about you. Are you the fool? Or do you have the humility to question your assumptions? Moving on, going on in verse 28. And we'll come back and forth, but going back to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. So he's having this conversation with these two disciples, right? And he's kind of like testing them a little bit. He's like, I'm going to keep going. And they're like, no, 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 no. Let us show you hospitality. Why don't you stay 
stay with us. Right? And he's like, nice. So he does. And he stays with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, did not Excuse me, yeah, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? If knowing of Jesus includes only facts and information, then knowing Jesus involves facts and a personal experience. A personal experience that is shaped by those facts. See, as Jesus is breaking the bread with them, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, as Jesus begins to break the bread with them, Luke records that their eyes are now opened. That their eyes were opened, and then they even comment after Jesus vanishes, they even comment, weren't our hearts burning for what he was teaching us in the scriptures? What these two guys are talking about is spiritual awakening. You see, spiritual awakening begins with the Word of God and then is followed by communion with God. Knowing begins with the mind, so it's an intellect, right? It doesn't skip over. It's not just this feeling, right? It's an intellect. It begins with the mind, and then it moves to the heart through a personal experience. But it doesn't stop there. And we're not done with the text. It doesn't stop there. What I want you to know before moving on is as Jesus breaks the bread with these two men, he's hanging out with them and he breaks bread. It sounds very similar to the Lord's Supper, so it obviously takes us to this understanding of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not only a remembrance of the person and work of Jesus, but it's a celebration and anticipation of grace. See, through the Lord's Supper, God is present among his people through the Holy Spirit. There is this communion that happens with God at the Lord's Supper. That's part of what makes it so personal. Oftentimes, when we think about the Lord's Supper, we think about this is only something that we do in remembrance of Christ, but there's something much deeper than the remembrance of Christ because the remembrance of the person and work of Christ should lead us to celebration. Celebration in the fact that the tomb is empty, that he is risen, and he is saving sinners. And as he saves sinners, he gives us the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and our minds. And as a result of having this truth, there is an anticipation of his return where he will reclaim his bride, the church. Knowing begins with the mind, and then it moves to the heart through a personal experience, but it doesn't stop there. Let's keep going. Beginning in verse 32, and I'll finish it out. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Knowing Jesus involves facts a personal experience that is shaped by those facts and action. And action. At the beginning of this text, we see these two men walking away from Jerusalem, going toward Emmaus, and as Luke records, they were filled with sadness and hopelessness. Yet Jesus appears to them gives them their own personal Bible study, teaches them that the scriptures are actually interpreted, they point back to him. And so their knowing Jesus began with the word of God, and then it led into a personal experience that included communion with God. And then what happened? They go back to Jerusalem. They don't keep going to Emmaus and they don't keep going business as usual because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything and so they go back to Jerusalem. Why would they go back to Jerusalem? Because in Jerusalem, this is where the church was birthed. In Jerusalem, it's where the people of God are and in Jerusalem is where the mission of God would be given to his people. Knowing begins with the mind and it moves to the heart and it leads to action. And action always involves commitment. It always involves commitment because action provides a visible and tangible demonstration of what we believe and what we value. Just ask uh, a Dallas Cowboy fan kind of true. I pick on CrossFitters. I'll pick on the sports people now, right? Like what they believe about that team, good or bad, shapes how they're going to like develop their calendar. That might be some of you. So you should repent. Oh my gosh. And so the calendars are shaped. Why? because of what they believe. Action demonstrates obedience. It demonstrates what we believe and what we value. Here at Storehouse McAllen, we say it one of two ways. What you believe shapes how you live. Or your identity in Christ determines your activity. Knowing Jesus, not knowing about him, knowing Jesus always involves a commitment to God and his people. The two men on the road to Emmaus went from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, and everything changed. They were two ordinary men. They weren't the religious elite. They weren't the ones who people think they got it all figured out. They were two ordinary men 
And the facts about Jesus shaped their personal experience with Jesus, and it led them to action and commitment to both God and his people. The final two questions for you is, number one, do you know Jesus? Not do you know about him. Do you know Jesus? You can come to know Jesus. The, the beauty about the road to Emmaus is like outside of Jesus getting to have a, a Bible study with these dudes, there was, there was nothing spectacular about it. Jesus opened up the Bible and, had, uh, and broke bread with them. The word of God was presented and then the sacrament was. There wasn't something marvelous about the road to Emmaus in the sense that you cannot have that same thing today. You can come to know Jesus today through faith and repentance, turning away from your sin and placing your trust in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Number two, what do you what do you need to commit to today remember action involves commitment knowing jesus always involves a commitment to god and god's people so some of you would say oh man i know jesus well praise god what do you need to commit to? What do you need to commit to? We can talk about a ton of things. Maybe you have experienced spiritual dryness. Maybe you feel like your bones are just dry. But what awakes these two disciples? It's the word of God that awakens these two disciples. Maybe it's been a while since not only you've opened your Bible, but actually had intentional time, communion with God. Remember, the Word of God leads us to have communion with God. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've experienced spiritual dryness. Maybe you're like an individual who texted this morning and said, I, I just don't feel joy. The Bible teaches us that joy found in Christ begins with repentance. Perhaps that's where you need to go. Maybe that's what you need to commit yourself to this morning, repentance of your sin. Maybe because you feel spiritually dry, or maybe you think, no, I'm good, then you surely should repent. <laughs> maybe that's one maybe like these disciples what ended up happening was they uh, uh they had this experience with jesus and then they go back into jerusalem because that's where the people of god were perhaps you need to commit yourself to the people of god 
Maybe you tend to think or believe that the Christian life is all about the Lone Ranger because you know what? All the churches are kind of jacked up and they're not perfect. And you know, I would actually agree with you that the perfect church, she does not exist. So we can throw that out. And perhaps your commitment should begin with the people of God. Perhaps your commitment should begin with the gathered worship of Sunday mornings. What is it that you believe and think about the gathered worship on Sunday morning? Is this the church? No, this is the McAllen Creative Incubator at 601 North Main. The church is the people of God, and we commit ourselves to one another to gather here at the incubator to celebrate the work of Christ and his resurrection. That's what we're doing here this morning. Perhaps you should commit yourself to gathering and worshiping with the church. Or perhaps committing yourself to one another implies serving. Some of you love the sidelines. Perhaps you should commit yourself to jumping in and serving alongside of the people of God. Let's take it outside the context of Sunday mornings. Perhaps you do need to commit yourself to one another outside of Sunday morning. You banking on this spiritual lone ranger preaches a false gospel. So perhaps you need to commit yourself to the people of God. What is it that you need to commit yourself to today? Perhaps you find yourself spiritually dry. Maybe you should commit yourself certainly to the word of God so that you can have communion with God, but it begins with repentance. Perhaps you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the Sunday morning worship. That this is actually just an event, but it's, it's not. It's the saints gathered together, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ together. Perhaps you need to commit yourself to one another outside of this. And perhaps you need to stop making excuses. Perhaps you need to commit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. Denying myself, that's really unattractive. It's hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. But perhaps that's where repentance begins. So maybe you should deny yourself. Stop banking on your knowledge. Stop banking on what you think you know. Stop banking on those other books. And begin with the lordship of Jesus. Knowing Jesus always involves a commitment to God and his people. Let's pray. God, as we wrap up our time, God, my, my simple prayer is Holy Spirit, that through your word, through, through your word uh, regarding the road to Emmaus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict hearts. I pray that you would challenge hearts. God, I pray that, that those who, who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus today. 
This certainly doesn't mean that all the answers are going to be, all the questions are going to be answered. But it does mean that a relationship with Christ begins with repentance. God, I pray that those who do know you, that their understanding and commitment to you would go deeper. Not in the sense that they would do more, but that it would grow deeper because their understanding of who you are and what you've done is so deep in their hearts that it shapes how they do life together, how they share life with one another. God, I pray against the pride. I pray against arrogance. I pray against the self-righteousness that may come with commitment. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, man, just crack through that because your word separates marrow from bone. God, I pray that we would be humbled this morning. That we would begin to look through, evaluate, check the condition of our hearts in hopes that in hopes that they would be broken, in hopes that our hearts and our dead bones would be resuscitated or our dry bones would be resuscitated through your word. God, as we walk into a time of giving, Lord, this is a time where we get to demonstrate transformation. This is a time where we get to demonstrate your work in us. And as a result, God, I pray that we would be good stewards of these finances, that they would be used to further and advance your gospel. So the more we come to know Jesus, and that more would come to celebrate his resurrection. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.